Namaskar. Described by a renowned film director as India's first literary pop star, his unique combination of startling storytelling, dharmic symbolism, and profound philosophies have made him a phenomenon. His five books to date have four million copies in print, with gross retail sales of 1,200 million rupees. His books have been translated into 19 Indian and international languages. A recipient of Raymond Cross Award, then Master Literature Award, Society Young Achievers Award for Literature, Man of the Year by Radio City, Communicator of the Year, Pride of India Award, is also being listed among 100 most influential celebrities in India by Forbes magazine. He figures in GP50 most influential young Indians and select, was selected as an Eisenhower Fellow. A graduate of IIM Calcutta who has worked for 14 years in the financial services sector before turning to full-time writing, he believes that you need to read at least 100 pages to be able to write just one page convincingly. Indic Book Club's guest for this Independence Day special Indic chat is none other than Immortal India's prodigal Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Bhot, bhot shukriya. आज हमारे साथ हैं उसमें भारत के विभिन्न कोनों से संपर्क रखने वाली भारत की बेटियां। I'm delighted to welcome these wonderful women whose voice we have heard through their videos, podcasts, articles, books, tweets, and other media. And today we are going to see and hear them in person thanks to technology. I have with me Miss Shefali Vaidya, journalist, blogger, and writer. Ms. Sai Swarupa Ayer, the author of Abhaya and Avishi. Ms. Anjali George, a cultural enthusiast who worships and cherishes the great civilization of Bharat. Welcome everyone. Since we have just an hour with us, we should begin without further ado. Uh, just keeping it bilingual for everyone's convenience. I'd request Shefali to kickstart this conversation. Well, thank you Dimple and thank you Avishi for giving me this chance. My question is, the name Bharat uh, of India comes from the Sanskrit root A, which means Prakash, which means light. So the country that gives the light of wisdom to the world is what Bharat was. So when your Vishwamitra says, let's make India great again, are you talking about the journey of today's India to that Bharat, the original meaning of the Bharat? You know, the... Uh... Uh, the, the kind of direction our country has taken post-1991, we made, uh, you know, unfortunate economic decisions pre-1991. But post-1991, uh, economically, we've been going in the right direction, broadly. And, uh, you know, we have, we have moved maybe anywhere between 100 to 200 million people out of poverty. Power in the modern day is actually built on economic power. A few centuries ago, it was built on military power. I'm not saying military power is not important. But today, like, you know, the way the, the Turks just conquered uh, so much of the world from Central Asia, destroyed so much of India, of China, of uh, the Middle East, that is impossible to do today. Most countries rise because of their economic strength. They need other sources of strength as well. So India is actually, in my mind, I'm an India optimist. Okay, it's a... Uh, 
uh, unless we completely mess up, there is no way that we will not be one of the greatest powers uh, in the world in a few years, at max a few decades. We will be among the top powers in the world. The question that comes to mind is what kind of power will we be? Uh, and that is something that we Indians should sit and ponder about. And on that, there's a lot that we can learn from our ancestors. Uh, the the world of ancient India was devoted to knowledge, devoted to Saraswati Ma, devoted to uh, improving ourselves in every space. Uh, we were open to learn knowledge from everyone. We never had the attitude that I know everything, so I'm not gonna you know open my mind and learn from someone else. Someone from abroad could come and teach us. Anyone could come and teach us. We would be willing to share our knowledge with others. Be willing to learn from others. That is an attitude. If you you know, if you read this book by Sanjeev Sanyal called The Indian Renaissance, one of his, his first book, uh, I think our decline began perhaps because we lost that spirit, you know, uh, a few centuries ago. We lost that attitude of just learning from everyone, uh, you know, and not, uh, not getting into a closed-minded uh, approach. And that is something that I think we should try and foster once again. That was our ancient culture. We need to revive it once again. This love of knowledge from anyone it doesn't matter where it comes from if it's if it's something worth learning learn it okay so amish ji uh, next is my question so yeah. what is your view on humanizing gods and telling their tales in connection with the history so as in your stories uh, your works you know in the in the indian way there are various approaches uh, to the divine to the god one is the Nirgun Nirakar concept, the formless uh, concept of God, which, which uh, uh, in ancient times was called Brahman. Uh, yeah. No, but we Shaivites would also name him Lord Shiva. Vaishnavas would call Lord Shiva, Lord uh, Vishnu. You know, the names can be different, but the point was the same. That a Nirgun Nirakar, formless, uh, uh, formless God, who obviously you can't even assign a gender to that. Yeah. Then there's the second concept of God, where God has taken an akar, a form to come closer uh, to us. There's a third concept of God called the avatar concept where God takes birth as, as someone in this Mayavi world does his or her karma and then, you know, goes back up. And there's a fourth concept of God where a human being discovers the God within. Okay. Mm. And that belief is in some way linked to the first concept, to the Brahman concept, because it is believed that Brahman exists in all of us, not just human beings, but in everything. Which is why instinctively most Indians respect uh, the environment as well. Because we see God in the environment too. You know, in the trees, in the rivers. We see God in everything. Uh, I find this fourth concept extremely empowering. Because what it means is that our problems are in our hands. It's up to us. If we want to rise and discover the, the power that we have within. And discover it with humility. Then we can, who can stop us from solving our own problems? So I believe the gods that we worship uh, were our ancestors. I believe Lord Ram, Lord Krishna, Lord, Lord Shiva. I believe their blood, uh, you know, Satima, Parvatima. I believe their blood runs in our veins. Uh, and I find it, I find that concept empowering because we have to be, uh, make ourselves capable of that blood. If their blood runs in our veins, we have to raise our character and thinking to a, level where we are capable of, of where we are worthy, you know, of that. But at the same time, can I prove that they, that they existed, that they were our ancestors? No, I can't. But I'm not forcing my point of view on anyone else. If someone else doesn't want to believe it, don't believe it. I believe it. I believe they existed. I believe they are our ancestors. 
Yeah. And uh, Amishji, the about the world creation, the thought process behind the world creation that went behind writing all your books. So, will Immortal India throw any light on the thought process? Uh, it so does. Writer's questions. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, because Immortal India has various articles. It's it's my first non-fiction book, so it has various articles and uh, thoughts on the land that I love, on 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 India and social issues and historical issues, etc. of of our land. But I also speak uh, on some personal things. So uh, yes, I also speak of how uh, why I write, for example, uh, how the stories come to me. At uh, the ending of the Shiva trilogy, there are many people who had a lot of philosophical questions about the ending of the Shiva trilogy. So I, I you know, I explain my uh, thoughts uh, on that as well. Yes, that all that is there in the book. Hope Thank you like it. Read. Yeah, it'll release on August 28th. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, waiting not, for it. <laughs> <laughs> but pre-booking is open. Yeah. Never lose an opportunity to market. <laughs> <laughs> As you have uh, said you should, you should own your book one. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a question uh, which is in uh, accordance with your latest book. You mm. have said in a previous interview that you were once an atheist, you were a rebel. And now you call yourself a Shivapap and just as you have said, you believe that, uh, that the, the blood of the gods run in, run in, runs into us. So I want to know how did the journey, that spiritual journey come about? Is your journey as a writer influence your spiritual journey? Or did your journey as a seeker, as a spiritual seeker influence your writing? It uh, it actually went hand in hand, you know, honestly. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it never happens the way, you know, it is in the movies. Na, ki there's a bright flash of light and you suddenly discover it, that that's in the movies. That doesn't really, you know, in, in real life, it, at least to me, it kind of happened slowly. And my books and my rediscovery of faith, I must clarify, it's a rediscovery of faith because when I was young, I was deeply religious. I grew up in a very religious family. I turned into an atheist when I was a teenager. Uh, I was a teenager for 10, 12 years. And writing my first book, I I think we should stop. uh, Hello? Please carry on. Yeah. Okay. And writing my, uh, you know, my, my first book slowly brought me back uh, to faith. And that's how it actually, uh, it, it, it kind of worked for me. Uh, I should also clarify that in the traditional Indian way, in the ancient Indian way, there's nothing wrong with being an atheist. You know, uh, many of our, uh, you know, our, our major ancient schools of philosophy were nine in number. And uh, some of them were atheists. The Charvaks were atheists. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in the Vedas either. Uh, the Sankhyas and the Mimansas didn't believe in a creator God. Uh, you know, so in the modern sense, they could be called atheists. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, b- but there was no violent attacks, you know, on, on people who were atheists. You know? we, uh, in, in India, we always had that freedom for, for different points of view. We would have debate, of course, we would have Shastrat, but... Uh, there was never a concept that your view is wrong and you'll go to hell for you know not believing that that those concepts didn't exist in in ancient India. So I must clarify: it's more it's more important that you do good karma, uh, and uh, atheism or theism is your personal choice, your own personal journey in this life. Uh, Amishji, I have a question uh, about Lord Shiva only. See, uh, he is Ghora. And uh, he is called Shiva, who does tapasya. And then he 
Kala who destroys everything. How do we explain this contradiction? <laughs> you know, one of my one of the books in my article, I written this as a part of a cover story piece in the Week magazine, and it's there in this book as well. Uh, is an article saying Lord Shiva, the god of and uh, I, you know, the point I make is actually that's what I know. Disrespect to any other god, you know, and I respect all gods, but I'm primarily a Shaivite. So, uh, the it is the part of him that makes him most attractive. His contradictions, you know, uh, because he is uh, he is in a sense the Vairagi god. He is detached from everything, but he's also the perfect householder god. You know, he's a very devoted husband. Uh, you know, good uh, father to his uh, to his children. Uh, he is uh, he's uh, he's not someone who dresses sharply. If you know what I mean, you know, uh, you know, he he'll wear you know, shamshan ghat ka basmil wear a you know tiger skin skirt. Doesn't matter. But at the same time, he was also when he was uh, getting married. First time he'd gone in just in that normal thing, then you know, then he went as in his sundar form, and it was believed he was one of the most beautiful, uh, you know, creations ever. Uh, so uh, he is, he is, uh, he doesn't differentiate between the high born and the low borns. Wo dev ko bhi de denge, asur ko bhi de denge. Unko kuch fark nahi padta hai. He is uh, Shivji ki barat mein anyone can join, you know, uh, doesn't differentiate at all. But at the same time. You know he's uh, he's the god of the arts, of music, of uh, you know of of dance. He's a god of the elites and a god of the commoners because the elites love him because of his arts, and the commoners love him because he doesn't differentiate. You know, उनको कुछ फर्क नहीं पड़ता आप जो भी background के हो. If you've done your karma, if you've done your prayer, he'll bless you. And these contradictions, I think, make him attractive actually, because. He he attracts us through various different routes, and then he balances us. So someone who is an elitist will get attracted to Lord Shiva through the music and the dance, and then from Lord Shiva will learn that actually you should respect the commoners too. Correct? Uh, someone who is a commoner, <coughs> excuse me, will get attracted to Shiva, to Lord Shiva, because uh, he himself behaves like a like a commoner. But then he learned from Lord Shiva. uh the uh, the the aspects that actually you must learn knowledge as well because lord shiva is the god of the vedas too is the source of the vedas so his contradictions actually make him attract uh, attractive and they balance us and what we need uh, you know divinity is in balance and th- i think that's the role that lord shiva plays at least that's a role that he uh, he plays in uh, my life wonderful uh- I have a question. Now we we talked about Lord Shiva. Uh, I have a question about uh, Bhagwan Ram. So it's yeah. very clear to anybody who reads the Ramayana that uh, Ram is not uh, projected or depicted as a superman or a superhuman. He is a human being with normal <coughs> human qualities. And uh, so, uh, what is the exact purpose or what is the message that the author wanted to convey to the society by composing it? Uh, because what I basically want to arrive at or ask you is, what is it that we can extract? as a learning from the ramayana without projecting the current day sensibilities or the modern sensibilities onto it uh, especially coming from the perspective that you know we have had these recent tendencies where people have said lord rama is a misogynist sita was a repressed woman and all so i i just wanted your take on it why do you think the ramayana was composed and what is the message that we should be taking from it 
there is a there is an article that i've uh, written on this in the you know in the book as well on uh, saying why i respect uh, lord ram and uh, i end that article saying you know i say it with pride jai shri ram uh jai shri ram the uh, you know this article was triggered by an experience i had had at a at a lit fest uh, you know i uh, uh, i normally just go for a lit fest for my event normally i'm just there for a day and i just finish i don't normally hang around too much and i had gone for this lit fest and i was speaking on mythology on stage and there were two other people sharing the stage with me and once the event was over someone came uh, you know and uh, spoke to me uh, later and uh, started criticizing uh, lord ram and uh, said that i know that uh, you respect women so why why are you referring to lord ram as lord why didn't you just say ram so i said i respect him i'll call him uh, lord ram uh and then that person went on to uh, you know to criticize lord ram and look in vedic sanskrit there's no translation for the english word blasphemy you know so we are not just allowed but we are encouraged to ask questions but one of the things i have always held that especially when you are speaking about god shabdon ki maryada honi chahiye there are some words you don't use right you are absolutely free to question in fact it's your duty to question but there are some words you don't use you know uh, so actually the kind of words that were being used actually upset me you know a great deal and i had uh, written an article at that point which is uh, there in the book that are the approach in the traditional indian ways that when we look at our gods we are supposed to learn from them we are supposed to learn from various archetypes that they embody and uh, lord ram embodies the archetype of maryada purushottam correct uh maryada purushottam the correct translation of it is the ideal follower of laws it's often erroneously translated as perfect man but that is the translation of purushottam maryada purushottam means the ideal follower of laws so lord ram exemplifies the way of life of an ideal follower of laws so what do we learn from such an archetype an ideal follower of laws normally is a wonderful leader <clears throat> the society that such a leader leads will be very uh, well run will be very fair very just uh, you know will be ram rajya but normally the family of an ideal follower of laws will have a lot of personal hardships okay because in the family you should have the rule of love not the rule of law true okay and uh, this is the archetype of lord ram has the, has there been other archetypes like this in our in our history or among our gods yes and i mentioned that in the article look at the example of gautam buddha uh, he was actually in a sense an ideal follower of laws he set up a way of life a, a code of living which helps millions of people hundreds of millions of people even today uh, and they find uh, you know purpose because of him but what was his personal life like gautam buddha's personal life we all know correct uh then uh, look at mahatma gandhi for example uh you know he he taught indians many indians uh, a way of life which helped us uh you know uh, the, which helped you know solve many social issues as well it wasn't just about getting rid of the british and uh, so many indians worship him as a father of the nation you know and he was a great man there's no denying that uh, and there are things to be learned from him but again what is his family life like again we all know and that is the point of the of the archetype of maryada purushottam that this is very good normally 
for a society. It has challenges within the family life. That's what we learn from this archetype. That's a way to uh, to approach it. That's what we learn from from Lord Ram. Thank you. And therefore, therefore, my submission at the end of the day is if you are the family members of such people, maybe you have cause to complain. But if you are their people, yes. you know, like we are the people of Lord Ram, we are the people of Gautam Buddha, we are the people of Mahatma Gandhi, because they sacrifice their own lives, their own families for us. Indeed. What right do we have to complain? I mean, we are we benefited from them. But yes, if you're a family member of a Maryada Purushottam, of an ideal follower of laws, life is challenging. Yes. Chef Ali? Yeah. Amish, again, I'm coming back to your journey as a writer. You said in an earlier interview is that India needs liberal messages. Hmm. Now, I'm curious because uh, when you were a banker, your dharma would have been probably different. So how did you come this real is your father because it's a very fascinating, uh, fascinating <laughs> idea actually. You know, the, the uh, frankly, at uh, you know, so many of us just go through life without even thinking or realizing what our swadharma should be, you know, what our purpose in life should be. Yes. Uh, when I was uh, working as a banker, my, my attitude was very clear that look, it's a job, uh, the idea is to earn money to pay my bills. Uh, you know, I, I, I come from a humble middle class family, you know. Uh, my banking job uh, dramatically transformed my life, you know, the kind of lifestyle I, w I could lead, the responsibilities I could meet. So I had no complaints against that. But I could say that it was my swadharma, you know, that uh, I wouldn't get up every morning and say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a banker and I'm changing the world types. No, you know, uh, but uh, writing the book really changed, uh, changed me as a person uh, dramatically. Writing my first book, Immortals of Melua. Uh, and even today, I still write from uh, that perspective that when I'm writing, I write something which feels right to me. I'll go back uh, to my banking job. Uh, but the, the pleasure of, of writing, uh, you know, and mining uh, stories and philosophies that I feel so passionately about that I think, has, uh, you know, in my own small way, I'm contributing to, to a land that I love, uh, you know, is something which can really... Uh, you know, it gives me such a sense of purpose, so much happiness that not, no amount of money, nothing can match this. And which is what I always suggest to people that, you know, try and find what your purpose is and only you can find it. No one else can find it for you. If you can find purpose, then living it is, you know, it's, it's one of the greatest privileges of life. Very, very true. Very true. Absolutely. And you rightly said that, you know, a lot of people, maybe they don't find their purpose and other people have a different purpose projected onto them and they are you know raised yes. people people force uh, you know your society will force a purpose on you who's anyone else to force up only you can discover your own purpose no, that actually brings me to a different uh, discussion uh, we are seeing the rise of extremism uh, hmm. not just religious but otherwise also so I <laughs> wanted to check with you as to what do you think or who do you think can convince the religious extremists is it the religious liberals or is it the secular elite who can convince the religious extremists about you know the path not being really meaningful for them or the society at large look uh, the you know I I the secular elite and the religious extremists really Ram Banai Jodi because they're made for each other you know, they, uh, they shout and scream at each other and, you know, and uh, sadly they dominate the public debate. 
but uh, they are both uh, you know extremists in their in their own right and i don't think they will solve any problems uh there is a problem of religious extremism in many parts of the world but you know i'm not saying everything about india is perfect there are many things that we need to improve but i don't think this is a serious problem in and i mean it across all across all religious groups most of us uh, common indians across all religious groups are actually on average very chilled out we may be deeply religious but we in, in you know kind of uh intuitively get the right of respecting someone else's uh, right and point of view to follow their own approach this is one of the things that we indians can actually teach many things uh, to the world i'm not saying everything about india is perfect but this in this area we are among the best in the world actually wow thank you right so that again brings me to the uh, the double hostility that the religious liberals face one is from the religious extremists who uh, you know who don't have any li- limits upon them and one from uh, the secular elite and i love the term you used what was that ivory tower secular communities <laughs> <laughs> so they are there like you know coming up every month for every festival hmm. uh, you know kind of making fun of uh, the religious practices as well as you know making life different uh, difficult yeah, this- for Look, these things upset me. In fact, I was I was so upset by this that uh, in my latest book in uh, Sita Warrior of Mithila, uh, there's actually a Jali Kattu scene. Okay. Yes, and, yes. And, uh, I sh- I saw Lord Lakshman playing Jali Kattu. Ab bolo. Boss, ham log ham log ham log karenge boss. Ye hamari pratha hai. Ham log karenge. Aapko jo karna hai, wo karlo. Okay. I'm not saying that uh, you know that we should uh, uh, that if there are corruptions that have crept in. that if there are things where uh, uh, the animal is being uh, you know severely hurt in any way those you know those excesses must be controlled and that is something that the community must uh, must take charge of in uh, but our festivals that have been coming for a long time this is a this is a deep part of our culture dahi andi right here in mumbai or durga puja in the east or kambala in uh, in karnataka there are so these festivals are a part of you know of of our uh, of our uh, way of life it's not we are not just a congregational religion for us these uh, festivals are a very important experience of the divine uh, and we cannot just give them up uh, we cannot sorry we are not going to give them up Uh, yes, but uh, do you think the narrative wherever there are excesses wherever there are excesses yes we we must uh, we must regulate that but there is no question of banning or stopping these things that's not going to happen but do you think uh, the narrative would be democratized enough so that we get to live that delhi cut to ho raha hai na i'm saying the thing is that look it's like this yeah uh, i always uh, you know this is one of the things my boss had told me once in my uh, in my banking days ki bhai uh, even a child if he wants food uh, from uh, things that are important for then we have Uh, and uh, i think that we should get unfair we must look at ourselves also and we must improve investment of talking is this is very important relationship with the divine
Thank you. I have a question, Amish ji. Uh, am I audible? Am For I example, sorry, even in Holi, like one of the things I don't like, there are cases, there are boys very badly. If it's badly on our face, if it's badly in bad we must behave, we must be in line with the ancestors. Since all religions are not the same, uh, do you think there is a need for interfaith dialogue and, uh, you know, for, to create some understanding and what exactly should be done to make these interfaith dialogues successful? One problem is the uh, interfaith dialogue. Culture has become is there's this desperate that no, we are all the same, you know. Uh, I'd like to explain this through the example of our body. They're all when we uh, when we die, when we'll be uh, cremated or right? So the source and the destination are both the same. But can you see our bodies? Will also be God, but ultimately, what we are experiencing now is different. Our own individual journeys, which means we'll all find different practices. Uh, the decency to respect someone else's journey as well. I might a different part, different religion. Uh, do you think that ancient India's cultural soul is intact and uh, can foreign influences be accommodated without actually altering ancient India's soul? Uh, we were almost like the America of the ancient world. Okay, because we used to accept knowledge and from everywhere. We keep the core of an education system has been lost a bit. In fact, the more realities, and uh, that's something that I few people ask. You know, have parents, grandparents who've taken effort, so therefore we've learned. But education system doesn't teach us anything. Even something as basic as the the seasons in India. When I was young, I was taught that uh, you know India has four seasons: uh, autumn, winter, uh, spring, summer. My son, who's eight years old, is taught the same thing once again. And I remember I'd asked a question, you know, whatever, 35, 36 years ago, ki ma'am, monsoon ka gaya? And uh, the reality for seasons is not connected by reality. Forget about 
unless we raise the issue how will it gets uh, how will it get uh, sorted and i am not suggesting that it's only about uh, you know about uh, great hindu so called uh, you know thinkers and mirza ghalib should be taught amir uh, khusro should be taught but teach indian stuff you know uh, like i said a simple thing like we should teach how many seasons are actually there in india not in europe you know there's there's uh, what what benefit can there be of disconnecting our uh, our uh, children from uh, india completely how will that help you know why are our cities so uh, un- unable to handle the monsoons why are so many of our buildings unable to handle the monsoons because actually it's not considered as the center of everything uh, in the in the modern indian education system when the ancient indian way the monsoon was the center of everything in fact the word for year varsh was drawn from the word for uh, monsoon varsha uh, for rain varsha uh, you know the and they how to manage that was a central part of indian administrators indian uh, architects etc because it is the central part of the indian way of life our monsoons uh, when you disconnect uh, you know uh, people from our roots you're not going to get stuff which is suitable for india think about the buildings that are built you know i used to work in a bank uh, so obviously like most banking office buildings it was a glass walled uh, building uh, you know a glass walled building makes sense in western europe because wahan pe sun nahi hota hai correct so there is no sun you are trying to get some sun in so that you don't wasting too much money heating in heating bills etc boss this india there is sun all the time out here boss you know uh, and the sun is strong you know so if you build a glass wall building in india what you are building essentially is a giant microwave oven correct uh, and i had a i had a cabin uh, you know in my last job as a member of the uh, senior management committee so you know i was at the glass wall sun the sun would be baking me from this side and the ac would be blasting me from this side how does anyone work in that atmosphere you know but our entire approach of the education system is to create generations of people who feel completely disconnected from india so we have nonsensical buildings like this you know the education actually has a real impact we need exactly. to raise it has a real impact 
yeah true like i'm from kerala and uh, i have no winter or uh, autumn but <laughs> i have been learning four seasons and i am experiencing <laughs> it only after coming here in europe <laughs> so so my, uh, so my question for you with respect to that is that with your works in the immortals of meluha and i mean the shiva trilogy and the science of ikshvaku and all you actually uh, er, bought our young indians young generation may, may, um, successfully actually you were quite successful in drawing our young uh, generation to to create a interest in them to look into the past into the stories so do you really expect that the immortal <laughs> india your collection of essays will help them to you know in this 70 after this this is a, we are having now celebrating the 70th year of our independence so the past 70 years we have been to look into the you know look behind and uh, think what what uh, what sort of impact you know do you really expect that what sort of an a similar like your fictional work mm. if you, you do your does your non fiction work also yeah. help in creating a um, impact on the youngsters and the indians to look behind and uh, in and understand things invoke yeah. the spirit of our culture especially mm. since we are in a political and cultural reinventing phase Sure. No, the uh, no good question, and uh, I think I'm trying to do that with my book. Whether I'll be successful or not, I don't know. I hope I am. But what I'm trying to do with this uh, non-fiction book also is bring out issues that are at the heart of my fiction books. Through my fiction books, actually, I try to convey many points of view and philosophies. So yes. the fiction book is like a wrapper around the philosophies. It's step two, and the philosophies are step one. What I'm doing with my non-fiction book, Immortal India. is to uh, communicate the step one itself the philosophies in a direct manner because there are many who want to discuss this as well uh, you know and i hope i'm i'm able to you know trigger debates where uh, where necessary and uh, i always believe boon boon se sagar banta hai that uh, you know all of us have a duty to contribute in our small way you know uh, to to india and, and and everyone's small small contributions will hopefully add up to uh, you know to 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 something uh, quantifiable and uh, you know uh, uh, see, uh, does immortal india talk about you know what you feel that culture is and what the youth can do to preserve the culture of india does the book talk about it yes it does actually and uh, i speak of what uh, uh, you know what is like one of the things that i speak of is what is it in our indian uh, uh culture that in our ancient uh, stories essentially what is culture it's a it's a shared collective set of stories thoughts philosophies that all of us all of us 1.25 billion people believe in that's what culture is what is it in our culture that we are one of the few ancient cultures that has survived till today uh most other ancient cultures have been wiped out you know they are museum pieces now correct uh the the modern egyptians don't really believe in the stories of amun ra anymore modern greeks don't believe in the stories of the the olympian gods anymore but uh, in india even today as we did uh, you know uh, perhaps 8 9 10000 years ago we still worship a shivling you know uh, we still have the yagna 
platforms the way it was uh, uh, you know our stories may adapt and change but the soul is is still very much there so there's something in our culture that we stubbornly refuse to die you know despite so many violent attacks so many in, uh, intellectual attacks we stubbornly refuse to die and yet we have not lost our essence uh, a lot of a lot of cultures which get attacked a lot you know you get so defensive uh, because you know you've suffered so much you know that you get very uh, that you lose your essence as well but we've not lost our essence too and it truly is magical it's one of the things i discuss in our book that what is it in us that we've refused to die but we've still still kept our our essence our core liberalism alive it's a very rare combination i you know there are very few very very few ancient cultures major ancient cultures that that have managed to do this बाकी नामो निशा हमारा कुछ बात है की हस्ती मिट्टी नहीं हमारी सदियों रहा है दुश्मन दौरे जमा हमारा सो वंडरफुल And we would like to remember him for Taranae Hind and not Taranae Milli. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hi, Amish. Am I audible? Uh, hi. Yeah. Could we? Uh, hi, Devansh. Sorry, sorry. Is he? Just give me a moment. What are you speaking? Hey, Devansh. Could we please do this towards the end? Uh, we, I think you joined a little late. We'd like to. Yeah. uh tweet i saw from some uh, western media company claiming that uh, you know a picture of one rare uh, devi temple in india is like dude <laughs> which part of india have you not seen a devi temple in india you know so uh, yeah it, it is a part of the of the indian way and we have always uh, respected the feminine principle but and uh, like i always say for me true patriotism also means uh, that of course we should celebrate things that need celebrating but also means that we should question things that need questioning and uh, you know like our parents question us right at times but but that's because they love us no they want us to to improve and it's the same thing we should want from our countrymen as well that yes we continue to worship uh, uh, devi ma as we should but there is uh, there are many in in many ways uh, the way women are treated today uh, in india we are uh, we are insulting our ancestors and we are going against our uh, our ancient culture and uh, i always say that those who fight for women's rights are actually not being western in fact they are being truly indian and we need to fight this good fight uh, it's it's for the good of india how do you that is to people who you know keep saying that our gods are just uh, myths and uh, there's no element of truth in all that we believe in how do you actually respond to those people bro you know, uh, even theoretical physics is coming around to that point of view that all truth is subjective it's from the perspective of the observer so uh, so what is truth one can have a big debate on uh, 
uh, I always say that look, it is my truth. I believe in our God. It gives me peace uh, to believe in it. uh to believe in our divine you don't want to believe in it don't believe in it it's your choice i'm not forcing my point of view on you uh, uh and like there's this the wonderful very famous line from the rigveda from the asyavama sahim that ekam sat viprabhuda vadanti truth is one but the wise men speak it as many and uh, you believe the truth that gives you peace you, if you don't want to believe in our gods don't believe it's your choice i believe it gives me peace uh you said that uh, you you tell the feminists that the true way to be a feminist is actually go back to our ways but that is true for a lot of things also that is true for being green as well i mean when people ask me how do you celebrate a green diwali i keep telling them do it the way our ancestors did they used diyas they used only eco friendly stuff basically the way we have had it's always been green it's always been in conjunction with nature but now this whole thing is like you know uh, Diwali ban karo, Holi ban karo, sab Hindu festivals se ban karo. No, I like I, I and I think we discussed this earlier when we were discussing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jali Cutter and uh, Dahi Handi and those uh, and those festivals as well. And I feel the same for Diwali and Holi. Uh, you know, all of us have a right to you know to celebrate festivals the way we choose to. Uh, but I but I say that the. the concept in the indian way is to see the divine in everything which means we have, we see the divine in nature as well so if we are celebrating things in a way that uh, that is harmful to nature uh, then we should we should try and learn and try and not do it but i see no reason why diwali should be banned or holi should be banned this is uh, you know like i said this is silly and uh, our uh, festivals are a very important part of our connection to the divine uh, we cannot Yeah, we cannot give them up. So, but I and with nature, you know, and it our festivals help us get into uh, tune with the rhythms of nature. Like, for example, why is it that in uh, in uh, the Shravan month across uh, across India, for some or the other reason, we are all told to be vegetarian. Some or the other reason, there'll always be some story associated with it. what is the scientific uh, reason behind it it's something that my uh, you know my father had told me once he said remember india's rhythms are driven by the monsoons okay shravan month is is the main monsoon month correct uh, you know the western uh, gregorian calendar can move a bit but the indian calendar is very scientific shravan is when monsoon happens so this is the main mating season for uh, for animals okay so if you kill animals in this season okay you are not just wiping out an individual animal you will might wipe out an entire generation correct because you don't want to kill them during their mating season it goes against the rhythm of nature so therefore there is some story given to us some or the other reason but be vegetarian you know in in this month there's our ancestors always there was some logic you know to the stories that were given to us so that we can get ourselves into the rhythms and uh, of nature Correct. Uh, we should, but as modern Indians, we should try and learn those things. That we shouldn't do uh, things which we know are harmful. Like if you're playing holy with uh, chemical uh, colors, correct? Uh, or you're throwing uh, things on, you know, on people from top of your building, okay? Or you're harassing girls. No, this is not on, boss. This is. Uh, uh, I mean, I won't go on the extreme of those who say ban these uh, festivals, but I'll also say that. these kind of things are are not the right thing to do and they don't do us any uh, you know uh, 
do our culture any good? You know that holy uh, is not an excuse to harass girls. It's not. So maintaining that, civility. Sorry. Maintaining yeah. civility while it is that's what holy is supposed to be. Suppose, yeah, yeah. यू नो अमीशी वी बिलीव इन यू नो आदि शक्ति में प्रकृति और पुरुष दोनों का है भाग मतलब यू नो यू हैव मैस्कुलिन एंड फेमिनिन एनर्जी शिव को भी अर्धनारेश्वर बोला गया है सो इट्स लाइक वी डोंट लुक एट मैस्कुलिन एंड फेमिनिन एनर्जी एज मेल एंड फीमेल पर से yeah there there are there are two different approaches uh, there are two different aspects to this one is of course uh, the concept of duality in the in the indian way there's a unity which breaks into uh, duality and and both those uh, forces balance each other it can be called masculine feminine purush prakriti various uh, uh, various terms. uh in terms of uh, you know gender orientations uh in fact it's one of the articles that i speak of then in ancient india actually had a very liberal attitude to uh it had a live and let live uh, uh, let live approach uh there was uh, uh for example uh, bhangaswan who has been mentioned in the mahabharat was a man who later chose to uh, become a woman uh ila uh, uh, you know who was uh, the daughter of vevaswata manu and the founder of the chandravanshi clan and in fact a very important part of india and some say maybe all of india was named after her ilavarta she later chose to become a, a man called ila uh, you know and uh, they were like i said the country was named after her uh, you know so uh, and there was space and freedom and respect for uh, people to have a different uh, point of view uh, that i will not judge you you will not judge me in vedic sanskrit once again do you know there's no translation for the english word judgment nyay wow. uh, is nyay is not judgment nyay is justice if you think about it you will not find a word for for judgment you know that concept that you are wrong you will go to hell you know that concept does not did not exist because everyone has a right to their truth you know i i will debate with you but i have no right to to judge you even god doesn't judge you a different question uh, see if uh, a person converts from say hinduism to another religion for uh, economic benefits uh, he can actually start pursuing <laughs> very differently and the idea would be to just extract maximum material benefit out of it and this spiritual upliftment part just goes away so i mean what do you have to say about it and if a person is just doing conversion because of economic reasons you we have proselytization happening across so can how can it help in spiritual upliftment if at all do you think it can actually in in immortal india i have actually written an article on on religious conversions wow. uh on this on this issue and uh uh i have i have approached it from two perspectives one is from the material perspective and the other is uh, from the spiritual perspective uh i i uh, you know i believe in freedom of religion so you should have the right to choose whatever you want but i don't believe in conversion marketing uh, you know uh, because uh, spiritually it almost is never good correct because uh, conversion marketing whatever be the faith comes from an approach of this guy's religion is wrong this guy's god is wrong and this religion is true this god is true 
moment you take that approach, your own spiritual growth actually stops. Uh, uh, your own personal happiness, and you will realize it sometime or the other, will actually get impacted uh, because you enter into the realm of uh, judgment. Then, from a spiritual perspective, it's almost never good. Uh, from a material, you know, you know, Mayavi world perspective, one can debate whether it's good or not. Because, uh, like in any field, uh, you know, some amount of competition always pushes uh, uh, people to reform. Uh, like, for example, and I in this article I mentioned like the three main, you know, major issues impacting, say, the you know the three main religions, say Hinduism, uh, Christianity, and Islam. You know, so. Uh, so I, uh, in Hinduism, I speak of the caste system, you know, which in the last few centuries has been negative. In uh, Christianity, I speak of uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the abuse of of uh, little boys by by many priests, uh, which happened in uh, thousands, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of numbers across the world. And in Islam, I speak of uh, of uh, religious violence, you know, that is hurting the Muslim world the most. And I say that uh, in uh, you know you'll find in the Western world where this uh, child sexual abuse uh, issue really you know blew up you know in the last uh, few decades uh, you'll find church attendance has collapsed you'll find uh, faith in Christianity has collapsed atheism has uh, has shot up and uh, perhaps as a result of that uh, you know though the church was in denial for long is actually now at least trying to confront and confront these issues at least trying to accept that there is a problem that something needs to be done uh, in uh, in in much of the middle east you know religious competition is not allowed you know because you know you can get uh, uh, there are serious legal uh, restraints on on conversions but if that happened uh, then maybe even this issue of violence could be addressed because there's a lot of lot of uh, inter intra religion violence in the middle east you know so the shias are oppressed in saudi arabia in uh, in bahrain uh, whereas the sunnis are oppressed in iran in uh, much of iraq uh, you know so if there's you know you never know if if you feel if if uh, religious groups start feeling i may lose uh, you know my own followers because of religious competition i'll try and reform and stop this and we can't deny even within hinduism uh, you know, there are many of us who genuinely believe that the caste system is a corruption of our ancient culture and it needs to be combated aggressively, uh, you know, but one can't deny that in the minds of some Hindus, they also think that boy, we have to fight this. Otherwise, you know, uh, we will lose adherence. So there is that issue as well from a material perspective. It does have an impact. One can't deny that. Uh, you can debate whether it's positive or negative, that competition, but spiritually, Conversion marketing, religious marketing is almost always negative and it's worst on the person actually doing the conversion marketing because his or her own spiritual growth collapses because the fundamental, like I, like I mentioned in the article, fundamental of conversion marketing is this, that my religion is true, your religion is wrong. My God is true, your God is wrong. Moment to get into that approach, spiritual growth stops. Indeed. You spoke about various sects of Islam. Actually, India is the only country in the neighborhood wherein all sects of Islam are guaranteed religious freedom. So, I mean, what then do you have to say to all those who are so busy <laughs> trying to brand immortal India as intolerant India? 
No, uh, you're right. I mean, Shias and Muslims live in uh, live in peace, uh, you know, in in India. And in fact, there's an article on this issue also in my in my book that uh, I always say that look, if you're judging a country of the scale of 1.25 billion people, uh, you know, you have to look at data, not at a few anecdotes, because our scale is so big. We are more a continent than a country, correct? And uh, if you look at data, religious violence is actually minuscule, you know, in in India. there are other forms of violence so i'm not saying everything in india is perfect there are many things we need to improve but religious violence is actually minuscule in india data is very clear on that indeed sai and uh, i had a question regarding the aryan invasion theory which is uh, being again concocted reconcocted now as i see but uh, uh, when did you first discover and how did you first discover that it was a concocted theory and how did that uh, change your reading or outlook towards given your love for history you know i i studied in tamil nadu in my younger years so uh, i learned a bit of tamil in those days also i still remember the numbers in tamil uh, 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 i have to call my husband because i don't know <laughs> but i forgotten but i forgotten uh, much others when when i had said because at that time i had already uh, learned the aryan invasion theory and one of the things that intrigued me sangam literature does not mention dravida anywhere correct uh, it doesn't correct uh, if it was an ancient thing it should have been mentioned no somewhere uh, the rigveda mentions the word arya precisely two times that's it that's it correct uh the text don't seem to back the back the thing and there is no archaeological evidence for any massive invasion if an entire yes, 37 skeletons which years ago there should have been massive you know wars uh, you know battlefield archaeology something should have some cities burned to the ground something should have been discovered no nothing like that has been uh, has been discovered uh genetic research even that recent uh, hindu article the scientific paper that was quoted the writer of that scientific paper actually debunked the hindu article you know so but the way i see it is look and there are some who are public intellectuals who uh who read uh, stuff my father is a genetic scientist so whatever i read i cross check uh, with him uh, but uh, the way i see it what would be ideal is uh, rather than public intellectuals the scholars in this area uh from both the left wing and the right wing should actually have a public debate you know uh, uh this pub- this public debate of scholars from both sides has actually never happened uh in india uh you know uh, which is unfortunate i i would suggest that uh, maybe someone maybe you guys should organize it uh and scholars from both sides in a public you know uh, uh free and fair uh, means the scholars you know not public intellectuals the actual scholars guys doing the actual research Someone let them debate yeah let them debate and let's yes. let's hear this one thing that's very clear is that most of what we've been taught till now there are serious issues with it okay uh so let's debate it i don't believe in the aryan invasion theory to me it doesn't make too much sense neither do we i'm sure <laughs> I mean, when we talk about the ancient history and the painful past, you know, people accuse <laughs> us of you know, trying to sow hatred and being divisive, and it actually discourages a lot of people from you know healing themselves. The wounds still you know stay and fester. So, don't you believe that an acceptance and reconciliation could actually pave the 
way forward for peace don't you think an acceptance a reconciliation is necessary in fact this is a subject i discuss also in immortal india wow. of uh, you know uh, painful parts in our history and uh, you know i i use the example of a, of a child suffering abuse uh, you know when they grow up you normally find two uh, you know two psychological strategies uh, either there is unfocused anger on everyone or there is denial ki mere sath to kuch hua hi nahi correct uh and many countries do this as well okay so if you uh, if you go to the arab world to be fair the arab world has suffered a lot in the last 800 years 800 900 years because first the turks came you know the same turks who came and destroyed india also went and destroyed the arab world by the way uh so first the turks came destroyed massacred and then ruled them uh then the then the colonialists came correct and then destroyed massacred and ruled them and now they are technically independent but not really correct uh so they've had 800 years of really painful history and they've suffered and i've traveled a bit in the arab world and you can make out that they haven't come to terms with their history there's just a lot of unfocused anger there's anger towards everyone you know uh, and you see that in the way their countries are you know they're in a mess because of unfocused anger so unfocused anger or hatred is not a good strategy but the indian strategy has been denial ki yaar hamare sath to kuch hua hi nahi you know uh, that is also not a good strategy as any psychologist will tell you because denial just forces things uh, you know underground and it comes out in unhealthy ways so how do we handle the the difficult parts of our history the way i suggest is uh, we must see the truth we must explore the truth but we must give up two very important things there is no concept of community guilt okay and there is no concept of historical guilt both those things are nonsense like for example i am an indian i traveled to sri lanka many years ago and uh, sri lanka had faced they call uh, hindus indians you know so i had gone to this uh, place and yes there were indians who had attacked out there there was violence yes yes it's a painful part of of history and i was told by the local guide out there that you indian should apologize for what you did so why should i apologize i haven't done anything yes yeah? someone came you know 800 years ago it's not my fault correct uh so we should understand this concept that blaming uh, someone today for what someone did 800 years ago is silly correct there is no concept of community guilt or historical guilt that's nonsense but we must accept the the truth of what happened so uh, the turkic invasion what is called the delhi sultanate Yes. should actually be called the turkic colonial rule correct uh, like if we don't call the british colonial rule the christian rule why do we call the turkic colonial rule islamic invasion because indian muslims weren't a part of the ruling elite either at that time Indeed. if you read the list of nobles you read tarikh e firoshahi yes. most of the 90 of the nobles would be either turks or uh, persians or arabs or afghans correct were looked down upon actually if you indian muslims and, and indian hindus were not a part of the ruling elite at all Absolutely. correct right so it has nothing to do with indian muslims but the turkic colonial rule was among the most brutal invasions in the history of humanity that is a fact absolutely so we must see the truth of it but realize that it has nothing to do with anyone today correct that is ridiculous and then accept it and then move on Indeed. correct aage badho 
सी द ट्रूथ फॉर वॉर इट इज एंड देन आगे बढ़ो डिनाइल और अनफोकस्ड एंगर बोथ दी स्ट्रेटेजीज आर गुड टर्की कोलोनल रूल औरंगजेब ब्रिटिश राज पीरियड वो पीरियड ऑफ इमेंस डिजास्टर डेथ एंड डिस्ट्रक्शन फॉर इंडिया वी शुड सी एंड अक्नोलेज एंड रिसर्च दो पार्ट ऑफ हिस्ट्री सो दैट वी कैन ड्रॉ अ लेसन वॉट मिस्टेक्स डिड वी मेक वाई डिड वी लूज करेक्ट सो दैट वी डोंट रिपीट दो मिस्टेक्स अगेन डू नो एट द पीक ऑफ द ब्रिटिश राज दे वॉन्ट मोर देन वन लैख ब्रिटिशर्स इन इंडिया दैट्स इट जस्ट वन लैख इफ यू थिंक अबाउट इट वन लैख ब्रिटिशर्स रूल थ्री हंड्रेड फिफ्टी मिलियन इंडियंस for what nearly 200 years this is sometime in the future people will be researching and saying ye sala hua kaise because this is not just a conquest this is humiliation that is unparalleled in human history correct what mistakes did we make how did we allow this to happen in jallianwala bag the guy who ordered the killing was general dyer a british officer but every person who actually shot the bullets was our own was an indian Right. So we need to learn uh, from our own history, so that we don't repeat the mistakes. That's why you should know the truth. So we should see the truth for what it is, learn from it, realize that it has nothing to do with anyone today, and move on. So on, uh, on, आगे बढ़ते हुए from the past to the present. Uh, I I happen to chance through the contents of your book. I just wanted to ask you if there's something about centralization and regionalization. So basically, what I wanted to ask is that centralization leads to neglect of regional problems, and regionalization could actually have a weak center. So how do we manage the distribution of power, considering that we are such a diverse country? We have to find an ideal balance on this. Okay, but having said that, considering the diversity of India, India is more a decentralized society. then a uh, you know then a heavily centralized one and i think uh, from top even the messages that are coming even in the modern day is that we have to ask what can we do for ourselves and for our country rather than waiting for the government to do something uh, you know for us and that has always been the indian approach and i think we should need to revive uh, you know that approach that we need to take charge and solve our own problems a sense of duty rather than exactly sense of duty rather than right that is that has always been the indian approach and the indian approach has always been mera problem hai main sort out karunga correct it's not that uh, how will some bureaucrat sitting in delhi know uh, know at all what my problem as a mumbai kar is usko kya malum hoga correct i have to sort it out for myself we should sort it out for ourselves things should be delicate shefali Yeah, Amish. My question is: On one hand, as you said, we need to come to face with the truth. So your books are very, very popular with the young people today. Even my kids actually think very highly of you. So my question is: uh, On one hand, we have this very deracinated generation who doesn't have any grounding <laughs> on our classics, but at the same time, they are exploring books, books like Sai's, books like Kavita, to try and understand. happen and understand the different perspective so what do you make of uh, this this process so i think we should have more faith in our uh, in our youngsters and our youth uh, you know despite uh, such a colonial uh, education system which is completely cut off our culture is not died out no uh, you know there is there is something in us that like i said we refuse to die you know uh, so we should have more faith in our in our youngsters there's nothing wrong in picking up good things from the west i'm not anti west 
uh, it is a successful civilization. They have, they've got some things, they've got many things, right? And uh, the ancient Indian approach was that if someone is doing something well, then learn. What's the harm in learning? There's no dishonor in, in learning. But we should keep our uh, the core of our of our own culture. And I think we should have faith in our uh, youngsters. They will do it. Uh, Amishi, it's already 8-8. Eight, eight. Do we have time for quick two or three questions from the audience? Sure. Alright, so uh, Devansh wants uh, some advice from your end to a budding writer who wants to explore the genre of ancient Vedic mythology. Any advice? Before you get to writing, my advice is, I always advise, whoever wants to write, especially on our mythology and our fantasy, be a good reader first. And my suggestion is rough rough ratio of reading to writing should be 100 to 1, which is for every single page that you write, you should read at least 100 pages. That's the only way your book will be rich. Uh, and only when your book is rich, uh, you know, when detail jumps out of every page, uh, will someone truly enjoy it. But when you are writing, try and make sure that that book does not become like a research tome. So you should do a lot of research, but let it come lightly in your book. Don't, don't make it, don't try and show off your research out there. Uh, one more question mm-hmm. is from Mr. Sridharan. Uh, he wants me to ask you this. Uh, he says he finds Christianity in India adapting all symbols and practices of Hinduism and he wants to ask you if that is to be welcomed as a concession or is that to be opposed as usurpation? You know, the, the uh, approach that most Indians have had, you know, is not just of, uh, uh, you know, of tolerance, but of active uh, respect, you know, for each other. So uh, there's a Mount Mary church in Mumbai where you'll find so many Hindus and Muslims going and praying out there. Diwali is a technically a Hindu festival, but it's celebrated by, by Muslims and Christians too across India. Uh, so I, I think there is nothing wrong with actively respecting uh, and uh, adopting things of each other. Having said that, the respect must be mutual. That is the only, that is the only point. Respect cannot be one way. Respect must be mutual. But there's nothing wrong with respect for each other's uh, way of life. I mean, I visit the Mount Mary Church because I find it beautiful. Uh, you know, so uh, I see nothing wrong with that. In the Indian way, we see divine everywhere. Uh, Sumati wants to know your views on the use and perception of saffron in the popular narrative, social media and mainstream media. <clears throat> you know, uh, interestingly, if you go back into our ancient uh, past, it can be debated whether saffron was actually our holy color. It can be debated. Uh, because uh, some say maybe our holy color was blue, uh, you know, linked to the sky. Some say maybe our holy color was white. Uh, it's just that it's become the impression now. A lot of it is also the impact of uh, of uh, Buddhism. But uh, but I uh, I say all colors are beautiful, and I'm proud of saffron too. The last question before we sign off is from Lakshmi. Uh, she says, uh, when you say that we never changed in spite of colonization, uh, it's actually because the education never reached everyone then. So now, especially with access to education currently far and wide, uh, we have to Indianize education. How can this be addressed quickly? I agree with you that uh, education needs to be Indianized quickly. And then all of us then have to raise our voice about it. We have to keep speaking of it. Uh, because only then will the politicians listen. One of the benefits of being a democracy uh, is that politicians have to listen to us. Uh, but uh, and I have a lot of respect for our political class. I know it's it's you know it's fashionable to 
criticize our politicians, but running a country like India is not easy. And the politicians know what will get them votes. So if, uh, if we make it an issue, then it will happen. Uh, we, we must want our, our, uh, our system to be uh, Indianized, our education system. I will answer that linguistic. I'm just saying there's some linguistic dispute uh, issue yeah. as well. That was, that was me okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, my approach to, uh, the linguistic issue is, uh, is the following that, um, and I'll quote something that I, uh, that I heard from uh, this SME singer called Papon, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of. He's brilliant. Uh, and I'd heard him in Guwahati and he'd said that for any person, uh, uh, the language is like his or her mother, you know, and obviously you will respect your mother. Uh, you know, that is, uh, that is obvious to be expected, but at the same time, you have to respect the mothers of, uh, of others as well. Uh, and to me, that is the way, that is the way I see it, that, uh, we must, uh, there is a language that all of us need to learn to get good jobs. I call it the paid ki bhasha, the language of the stomach, which is English. Right? We all need to know. Uh, and I wouldn't recommend any one of us uh, send our, uh, you know, think that we shouldn't teach our children English because then we'll be doing them a disservice. Correct? They need to learn that to keep their, uh, to get a good job. But they must learn their matru bhasha as well, their, uh, their mother tongue. And at home, at everywhere, we must celebrate our mother tongues as well, which for me could be Hindi, for someone else could be Kannada. Uh, for someone else could be Tamil, for someone else could be Marathi, for Assamese, Bengali, whatever. We have so many wonderful languages and we must celebrate all these languages because there's a treasure house of literature and knowledge and philosophy in all these languages. And we cannot allow that to die out because then we lose a part of India if, if that happens. And uh, the way I see it, whichever state uh, you live in, uh, make an attempt to learn the native language of, of that state. There's no dishonor in that. I live in Maharashtra. Uh, wherever my family may have been from. So I've, I've tried to learn a little bit of Marathi. I can understand, uh, you know, Marathi. And when I'm speaking to a native uh, Marathi person, the fact that I at least try, you know, brings a smile on their face. Uh, you know, I, my, I, I agree my, you know, I may mess up the grammar and everything, but the fact that I at least try opens their heart to me. What's the harm in that? Correct. So, uh, I think the only only native speakers who make fun of you if uh, if you don't speak their language well are the native english speakers in india uh, uh, because if uh, like my parents they studied in a hindi medium uh, school correct so uh, they found it very difficult to get good jobs they had a tough uh, life you know because of that and uh, my used to say that you know they it won't even be appreciated that at least she's trying you no know, to speak in a language that is not her language. Uh, but every other language speaker in India, if you are not a native speaker of that language and you at least make an attempt, they appreciate the, they appreciate their attempt and they'll open their heart for you. Absolutely. So uh, I say that to all people. If you're living in Maharashtra, no matter where you're from, try to karo Marathi mein baat karne ki. If you're living in Karnataka, try to karo Kannada mein baat karne ki. Even if it's, even if it's broken, a native Kannada speaker will appreciate the effort that you're making. Then he'll open his heart to you. If you're in Tamil Nadu, try to karo Tamil mein baat karne ki. If you're in, if you're in West Bengal, and that's what will bind the country together. What binds the country together is our ideas, not uh, not the different languages. Indeed. Yeah? Uh, 
I think we are running yeah. short of time. We don't want to end the chat abruptly. So if there are any other questions, I'd request you to just send those to me. You could or address your questions to our Indic Academy handle and we'll make sure that Ameshji hand, you know, answers all of those for you. Thank you, Ameshji. Thanks Thank a lot. You. My Thanks pleasure. Thanks a lot, you wonderful audience. You've been very patient with us all along. Uh, before we sign off, I would like to remind you all that Immortal India is going to be out soon. Pre-release, it's available. Go make sure that you read the book because it covers a lot of topics that we discussed today. Yes, Ameshji, that was right. So with this, we come to the end of a very enriching Indic chat. Thank you so much. I would like to really thank our media partners, Creative India Magazine and Swaraji Magazine for their support. I would request all of you who've tuned in today to make sure that you're there next Sunday at 7 p.m. for another episode of Indic Chat. Do remember to follow Indic Academy, Indic Book Club on Facebook and Twitter. Happy Independence Day, everybody. Swatendra Divaski, Dhero Shubh Kamnai. Namaste. Bye. Bye. Take care.